This is the Ironside Podcast with Brett Kane. Also joining me is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Zero HP Lovecraft. Welcome aboard. Hello, and thank you for having me. Man, it, it's a real honor. You are a such a, a prolific figure. And I, I know it, it might sound like a cop out to say the man, the myth, the legend, but I, I think myths and legends uh, and manliness are so pivotal and, and key uh, to, to you personally and to what you're about. And, and we need mythology and we need legends to remain and we need men. And I, I think you embody uh, all the best qualities uh, of those words. So for those who might not have had a chance to interact with you on the interwebs or read any of your works, can you just give us a little background on yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, you know, it's always flattering to hear these things. And I think, uh, at least for me, I never really get used to it uh, when different podcasters give me these glowing intros. And uh, it's very encouraging, but if I'm honest, it can, it can sometimes uh, feel a little surprising to me. You know, on the internet, we are very aware of the hatred <laughs> that we receive, which is pretty frequent for me, but uh, also many people have good things to say, so thank you. Yeah, I, I've been writing on the internet as zero HP for almost five years now, which shocks me to say also time is a flat circle. We've all heard this expression and, you know, it just, it all it all begins to blur together. I started writing The Gig Economy, which was at the tail end of the 2017-2016 crypto bear market. And it felt like a very timely story. I wanted, I was, I was very excited by the possibilities of Ethereum. And even though I knew what Vitalik looked like, I still was excited by that, by that currency. And uh, I, I wrote this story that was sort of inspired by uh, the works of Nick Land, by some of my readings in uh, the neo-reactionary blogging, by uh, a couple of other works, which I, I think I've mentioned in a few other places. But I put them all together into this story that had sort of the format of a think piece, and it included all these fake found materials from around Reddit and 4chan and uh, these types of places. And many people thought it was real. Like the story went viral. No one, no one shilled it. No one promoted it. Like, uh, or no one was paid to promote it or told to promote it. Right? I just posted it, and and it found this organic viral audience. And everyone thought I was telling a true story until about halfway through, when there's this kind of sudden realization that oh, this is fantastic. Well, it's it's not, it's not even remotely possible. So that was how I got my start. And then I started writing these polemical threads and uh, those found an audience as well. And here I am. That's awesome. I, I, I love that, that you, you found this organic audience and, and people are like, oh man, this is like factual. It, 
it reminds me, and, and I don't even know if this story is, is true or not, or maybe it's uh, just apocryphal, but H.G. Uh, Wells War the Worlds like when it was uh, you know, broadcast over the, the radio. I, I always heard growing up that a lot of listeners thought it was legit and, and that it was actually happening. Um, so that, that's, that, that's what they tell us now. Right. The farther we get away from these events, the harder it becomes really to know. But that's, that is the story I've heard as well. It's kind of like Helen Keller. Maybe you've encountered <laughs> Helen Keller denialism lately, which I think is just about the funniest thing in the world. Oh my goodness. I absolutely love that. One of my, my friends, uh, JRC uh, on the interwebs, like that's, that is his thing is Helen Keller denialism. And I, I love it. It is hilarious to me. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. She was <laughs> blind and deaf and she wrote these books. I don't <laughs> think so. I, I know like, you know, you're obviously a, a very successful writer and I've written a couple books and it's, it's hard enough for us. Like I can't imagine. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that, that's supposed awesome. to believe that she spelled it all out in uh, this woman's hand, her teacher's hand, one letter at a time. Yeah, man, it is. It's too funny. I, I, I think that the, and, and I hesitate to use the word skepticism, but the the desire to learn i think is something that is being lost and it's it's almost a, a paralyzation that i see of of people who number one don't want to believe uh, these apocryphal stories uh, or even learn lessons from them and two don't even want to know something that's true w one of my favorite lines from the film with uh michael kane and uh man i can't even think of his name um secondhand lions have you seen that film i don't know you have not it, it, it's it's a good flick uh but there's a part um where one of the characters says well just he's telling a story uh to his his great nephew and the nephew keeps asking well is the story true is the story true and he's like just because something isn't true doesn't mean you can't believe in it and i i like that and obviously the the truth is something that is lost on many people today and it's something that's vital but there is so much power in in telling stories that like yours that might not be factual but ring with truth so how do you balance that because obviously you write about real uh things or or potential future things or parallels with current events uh with a, a fictional uh overlay so how do you balance that well to be honest i just make things up uh so one, one of the things i really enjoy about writing fiction and labeling it as fiction explicitly is that you can mix truth with fancy very freely. And this is something that I like to do. So I will often, in building the details of a world, I will go and research and find true things or things that appear to be true. And I'll mix them into a story 
but I will also change any details that I like uh, as it suits me, as it is germane to the plot. And you can do this in fiction. You cannot obviously do this in other types of writing, but I enjoy that freedom because it allows me to make things a little bit more surreal or hyper-real while still having some familiarity. And the, the thing you said a moment ago reminded me of a, a quote from Beyond Good and Evil by Nietzsche, where he says, the falseness of a judgment is, not, uh, is for us not necessarily an objection to a judgment. In this respect, our new language may sound strangest. The question is to what extent it is life-promoting, life-preserving, species-preserving, perhaps even species-cultivating. So this is one possible relation we can have to the truth. And I've been thinking of this a lot lately in terms of war propaganda, because you've probably seen these stories going around about the, the ghost of Kiev. Maybe you've seen this meme. There was a story a few days ago that they, they were saying, you know, this fighter pilot had shot down 28 other planes, which is impossible and insane. This only happens in video games. And uh, then it was quickly revealed that it was a hoax and, and everyone, you know, a, a common response was, well, it's still a story that builds people's morale. And in a way, this is maybe very frustrating because the story is a lie, the story is a hoax, and we, we might not, we, no one wants to feel tricked by war propaganda. But in a sense, is this not a very Nietzschean sentiment that the story may be false, but for those who are on the, on one side of the fight, it may be a life-promoting uh, judgment, maybe. Maybe not, maybe it gives them a false sense of confidence and they do something foolish. But it's an interesting question. I don't think it's quite as simple as the bare facts. Yeah, that that's I, I really like that. Yeah, I, I did see that that meme going around. And you know, my first reaction is like, man, they shouldn't lie to people. And then it's like, well, you know, if it if it helps, but then it's like, but does it also hurt? And one of the things that you know, I, I love I, using the example of the emperor's new clothes, uh, that, that sort of fable, because I, I feel like there's a, a cheapening to these, these stories. And if there had been, you know, a fighter pilot who maybe shot down, you know, two or three enemies, like, okay, that's, that's believable. And then if it gets exaggerated, it's like, all right, that's understandable. But if there's no pilot, if there's no, you know, uh, aerial victories, then it's just completely made up. So it, it, it almost seems like there has to be a, at least some truth to it or, or something to build on. And, and I feel like it, with a lot of this propaganda and just in the media, they're literally making things out of nothing. And, and it's like the, the salesman who goes to the emperor and says, Hey, look at this beautiful cloth. And it's literally nothing. I mean, it'd be one thing if you're making uh, a silk purse out of a sow's ear, but there's no ear and there's no purse, but they're trying to say it as such. And, and even in, in your writing, you know, you, you've been uh, inspired from and, and you've gleaned so much knowledge and information that you can then go on to create something 
out out of this. Uh, so I think that that might be the distinction. I think when we fall for propaganda, which is very easy to do, and in a sense, all the information on Twitter is propaganda on some level, uh, the more it happens, the more jaded we become to really even the possibility of knowing what is true. And one of the things that's been so dizzying about these recent series of events is you will see these official sources, excuse me, you'll see these official sources of information lying over and over, and we'll catch them in lies, we'll see them telling these obvious lies over and over and over again. And yet so many people seem to just forget that they were lied to five minutes ago and they rush in happily to believe the very next lie. They, they're eager for it, they lap it up. And it's like, well, the person who, or the group of people who've been lying to me for months, for years, for my whole life, I'm sure they're telling the truth this time, right? This, this one is true. And I understand that temptation, but it's also very perplexing to watch it happen. And I try not to fall into it myself. Yeah, and it, I, that's that's a great example, and and it's so easy, you know. Is like we we'd like to have something to believe in, and we'd like to give you know these sources the benefit of every doubt. But I mean, it's it it is almost an exercise in in futility to to keep you know going back to it. I, I think of uh, the Bible. It's like the the dog, you know, turning to his vomit, you know, and I think that. You know, it, it, I, it's a lack of literacy and being able to read between the lines or, or in, in read at all. You know, we, we see so many people, uh, I work for a school district and there's high schoolers who are at reading at, a you know, preschool or first grade level. Uh, their handwriting is, is, is in many cases uh, illegible and not to denigrate other media, you know, film, audio, but I think there's something so important to the written word. It, what do you think about that? I mean, obviously you're a, a great writer. Do, do you enjoy films as well? Do you think there's some utility in, in other mediums? Certainly. It, to be perfectly honest, I find I have lost the patience to watch many movies or television shows these days. Not that I don't at all. Uh, in some ways, it's impossible to stay connected to the culture and the people around you if you don't watch a little bit of TV or a movie here and there. But uh, I do I do like to read primarily, and uh, lately I've been, as you may know, reading hundreds of submitted short stories for the Passage Prize, which I have concluded, and the winners will be announced very shortly, probably before this podcast that we're recording goes live. And one of the things I notice is that not all the stories, I'd say maybe as many as half of the stories 
feel as if they're being written for the wrong medium. So the the medium is text. It is a it is a written story which will be published in a book, in print. But often the the narrative construction or the dialogue or the the structure of the plot it feels like it's intended to be a movie or perhaps a TV show. Like I, I think a lot of aspiring writers or amateur writers maybe their their main way of thinking when they think about stories is probably much more in the realm of movies and television. And so you will see these, a lot of the stories, it feels like they're writing for the screen or that they're heavily influenced by the screen and much less by the written page. And that's not a bad thing uh, in itself, but it's, it's definitely, I, I would almost say it's an alienation from the written word despite working in the medium of print, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that. Yeah, there there is that that sense of, of duality. I've even read, you know, best-selling books where throughout the the narrative, the the author has the main characters uh you know trying to elicit the help of uh of writers and referencing it in the narrative uh that this mystery they're trying to solve would make a great movie and and telling these other characters that they can sell the film rights to this experience so it it is interesting that i i think there is something that can be lost you know when when trying to have one foot on the shore and, and one foot on the boat um and and not not that it's bad to write for the screen write for uh you know print but i think there has to be some integrity and honesty about you know what we're doing so yeah i i've i saw that you've been uh going through and i hate to use the word judging but i mean that's what you are you, you are uh judging the, really these what words. i'm doing and, <laughs> yeah and we're so uncomfortable with the idea of judging i think now most people are uncomfortable with that but that is literally what i've been doing i have been quantifying and ranking and scoring and uh, separating the wheat from the chaff, as it were, which uh, uh, you become comfortable with this after a while. You know, you never want to crush anyone's spirit or, or to uh, be disrespectful to someone who has given it an honest effort, who's really put their heart into something. And I know that many, many people did. And I think it shows. I think when, uh, if someone, sort of phones it in, if they didn't fully commit to the thing they were doing, then even if their skill level isn't all that high, it shows you can, you can tell what has heart and what doesn't. Well, you know, it takes one to know one. So I think that speaks to uh, your character because you, you have a lot of heart and that's why you're able to recognize it. And, you know, I was astonished to see, I saw uh, a number of your tweets where you shared some, some samples and there was some, some really good stuff. Uh, it, it was almost 500 stories that you read, something like that. Uh, just, just over 400. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Just over 400. And I, I, 
have to confess, I, I reached a point about three quarters of the way through when I just, I couldn't quite take it anymore. <laughs> and I had to conscript some help. Not, not that I didn't read all of the stories that ought to have been read, but there is a certain first pass where, you know, as you're sorting through the sea of stories, uh, there's, there's sort of like the top tier, the ones that are worth reading to the end. And then there will be some where you say, well, I, I can kind of put that into a ranking already for maybe the first couple of pages. And it's not going to win. And that's sad. I mean, it really is. But so I, I did for the last maybe 100 stories, conscript uh, some help from the other judges, just kind of to, to help me sort. And they identified about, I want to say, maybe 30 or 40 more stories out of that last 100 that were worth giving a deeper consideration to. So yeah, I, I do have a day job. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that you guys put this on is incredibly uh, generous uh, of you guys to do this because, you know, I mean, you're, you're huge on social media and, and yet you interact uh, with small accounts, you know, you, you're willing to come on, on, on this show and we're by no means very big. And, and I think that that's awesome. You know, like uh, Rudyard Kipling's poem if you know you uh can talk with kings and yet you've not lost the the common touch so i'm i for one i'm, I'm grateful and i i know that you're super objective but i i think when it comes to things like judging it, you know you're reading tons of stuff so the the first story you you read might uh it, have a you might be in a different spot when reading that than reading the 400th story so did you find that there was some similarity some similar themes uh some similar similar tones or was there a pretty wide variety yeah i'd say that there were there were certainly trends there were categories um i'm actually working on a, a pretty in-depth post-mortem now where i want to talk about and I'm going to publish this hopefully in the next week or two. Uh, the way that I think about the fiction as I'm judging it and, and what are my questions I'm asking, what are my considerations? Because there's a lot of people, you know, there's, there's, there's a level of technical competence. There's writing a story that has good prose, good grammar, decent pacing, decent uh, framing and uh, a narrative composition. You know, most stories have a pretty standard structure. There aren't that many different ways to arrange a plot. And if you follow those forms and if you can write sentences in a pleasing way, those are, those are sort of the, the entry level. And amazingly, or not amazingly, many people are still struggling with these sort of mechanics. And often those people might have talent and I hope that they continue to practice, they continue to grow and refine those mechanical traits. But once you get past that level, then that's the real game, which is where we want to look at the actual contents of the story and what are the sort of 
what are the philosophical currents that are running through it? What are the actual, what is it saying about the world, about the about people, and so on? And so these are the the questions I'm really interested in. And I would say that maybe as much as three quarters of the stories are given over to a kind of existential despair. That's maybe a sounds harsh to say, but if if and, and I myself, if you look at my major works, often the protagonist succumbs, often he dies or is consumed by something. So that in itself, it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's okay to write a story that is a tragedy, and I like good tragedy. But there ought to be something more, I think. It's, it's not enough to simply devolve into... into uh, to fall into a void. Ideally, we'd like to see a possibility for escape or a way to imagine if things could have been different. At the very least, we'd like to see an interesting moral comment, like why did the character fall in, into this, this pit and, and what caused it? So mostly for this contest, we wanted to explore the theme of escaping from the longhouse. And what that means is we wanted a positive uh, resolution. We wanted a moral message that would be uplifting and that would be strengthening and that would be edifying. And so a lot of the stories, you know, I, I didn't start calling them this, but there, there are many stories where someone lives in the pod, eats the bugs, and people started calling those soy brick stories because I posted about them a little bit too. It's like the, the person gets their soy brick and, you know, then the, it, it reads like a 4chan green text that maybe maybe uh, a little more, a little more polished, a little more florid. So that was one category. There were definitely a, a number of high fantasy stories as well. And these tend to be pretty, pretty standard in terms of swords and sorcery. You know, there may be a bandit, there may be a king or a princess and a, a warrior and, and, and these types of things. And I'm open to this if the story is good, if it is emotive, if it, you know, has the right feeling. Uh, there were a number of stories about people going to Latin America and buying drugs. This was a fairly, a surprisingly common theme. I think maybe this is something that Americans do or some Americans do. <laughs> And it's an adventure, certainly it must feel like an adventure, something worth writing about. Uh, yeah, and then there were many that were simply literary people who, a lot of, a lot of like slice of life in a city, maybe stories about, oh, stories about dating. <laughs> there were a lot of stories about dating, boy meets girl type of stuff, going to a club, meeting a girl in a, an apartment, or, you know, these, these types of things. So. We were looking for things that stood out. And I, I think I'm very, very excited to share the winners. Most of them honestly avoided a lot of these tropes. Uh, there, were, there was one that was really just good old fashioned sci-fi, like golden age sci-fi, which uh, there, there were a number of those, but the best one definitely made it. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really cool. It's a really cool competition. So I'm, I'm pleased to announce the results soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And, and I think it was really encouraging to people, you know, I saw when 
you and the other judges said like that 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 it was you know you got more submissions than than uh, you might have expected, and that the you know, it would be great to have a bigger prize pool because there was so many good things, you know, and and obviously not everyone can win. Uh, that's just the name of the game. But I think everyone who submitted uh, is a, a winner in a sense. You know, I always say like that even if your writing never gets critically acclaimed, I mean, the fact that you did it uh, is more than than most people can say. Or and that's true for for any art. I I also do a lot of drawing, and I I, I always tell people anyone can write and anyone can draw because. Uh, even if it doesn't have you know, the master level skill, it's wholly your own, and no one else can can duplicate that exactly. Absolutely, everyone should be proud uh, of what they have done and what they submitted, except for one person who plagiarized a story off of the internet that was published in 2019, and that they did not write, and I immediately caught it, and that person was should not be proud that person should be ashamed <laughs> man and that's crazy i was wondering because in uh i saw on on passage prize like the the guidelines I, yeah I mean, it was explicitly stated like don't do this like do not plagiarize you know um so that's crazy that i'm glad it was just one person but man there, there's always got to be well, one one that we caught anyway <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that's too bad. You know, I think that's, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, because e even if e you write something that's not perfect, at least you have a chance. But if you plagiarize something, get caught, you have literally zero chance. So yeah, absolutely. So when when you write, you know, obviously you've got. Uh, fiction and then you have some shorter stories and then you have micro fictions do, do you have a, a pattern uh is it formulaic i'm going to write a micro fiction this week and, and something longer next week or does it just depend usually i have a sense going in how long the story is going to be but I don't really plan it. I just say what I need to say and what I want to say. And I try to let the spirit move me. My recent story, Don't Make Me Think, which was uh, one that I published last, I think, October or September thereabouts. Uh, I had originally thought that would be two or three pages. It ended up being the second longest thing that I've written. And it just had to be. That was that was what came out when I when I started to commit my thoughts to the page, and I think that's fine because I have no deadlines. I'm not accountable to anyone except myself. I'm writing for joy, for the joy of it. So why would I do something that didn't please me? Essentially, that's beautiful. I I think that a, a lot of people miss that that key factor that you know you're you're writing for you and if if you go in and you write with the intent like how something is going to be uh 
you know, universally received, or, you know, is this what the, the masses want? I think you, you, you've already ceded important territory because it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be good if you're not writing something that, that you like, and they're proud of, if you're trying to get famous or, uh, you know, fill this, uh, mass market. Right, right. That was never my intention. Like when I started writing, I did not think it, it did not go through my head, honestly, for even a minute that, oh, I'm going to build this big audience online and so many people are going to read my story. Like genuinely, I thought, uh, I thought maybe 10 people would read it. That's really what I thought. Like I never considered, I thought maybe it would be really cool if a few of these people I follow on Twitter, you know, some of these big accounts, because back then I, I had no, no presence. I thought, oh, it'd be really cool if, you know, one or two of these people I follow read my story. That was honestly all I was hoping for. And uh, yeah, I, I think if you go into it with the intention that, oh, I'm going to build fame, I'm going to be a personality or something like that, I think this is the wrong approach. Um, that's, that's, if that's why you're doing it, then you're probably not putting enough thought into what you're doing and you're solving. Have you ever heard in the startup world what's called the Maserati problem? No, no. Tell, tell me that. You're, yeah, that's, that's when you're event, uh, like starting a startup and you're trying to get you know seed capital from a venture capitalist. You're chasing funding and you're thinking about what color your Maserati is going to be. And that is absolutely not the problem that you as a startup founder should be thinking about or trying to solve uh, when, <laughs> when you haven't even started a company or, or sold a product or got any funding yet. Yeah, that's, that, that's, uh, that's really profound. Um, I think that, you know, and so my first book, uh, it, it's just a, a mystery novel. Um, people always ask me about getting published and, and I know people who have tried for years to get published. And, and for me, you know, the first person I pitched to, you know, I didn't hear back for six months, but, but they accepted it, the, the publisher. And, and that was, you know, kind of serendipitous. And I feel like it, you know, cause uh, my friends who are also trying to get published, I think are, are better writers than me, but it's just, I mean, yeah, it's skill and, and practice and perseverance are a lot, but in, in so many ways, it, it is, you know, just kind of random and, and you deserve all of the accolades that you're getting. And I think that's really encouraging that when you started out, you said, you know, you, you didn't uh, expect or, or, or necessarily, you weren't trying for uh, this degree of, of uh, notoriety and I think that's, that's awesome because, and that shows, I mean, everything I've read of yours is awesome. And the first thing that I thought, and one of my favorites of yours is the green new deal. And I was like, man, Thank he you. thinks of everything. Uh, yeah. And, and I love that, you know, cause obviously, you know, the, the left and, and so, some of these uh, people, like they're, they're all about, microaggressions and trigger warnings uh, but it's so disingenuous and in the green new deal you, you have something at the beginning uh, that is really important and and it was really thoughtful and it was really sincere like hey if you're struggling 
uh, was something like, don't read this, like go here. And I thought that was really big of you. So how, how do you maintain that, that common touch, that, that empathy? How do you think of everything? Well, I, I don't think that I do, but, uh, you know, in order to, to make art that's worth anything, and I risk, you know, sounding perhaps presumptuous saying this, but if, but if, if you're going to make art that has value, then you have to really, as much as possible, you have to put your mind into all of the all of the little facets of it. Like you have to visualize it. You have to, you know, in, in not you don't have to live it out literally, but you do have to live it out spiritually. You have to put yourself into the frame of the person in the story, ideally of every person in the story, and think about what are they feeling, what are they dealing with, what are they going through, and, and what is it like to be that person having those things happen to them and if you do that then i think you can write from a place that i, I hesitate to even call it sincere but you this is the only way to be honest in writing if you try to write about something and you haven't experienced it and again i don't mean literally i mean just if you haven't sat through it in your head then you will not be able to speak correctly about it so to me, to write a story about a person who, who kills himself, who takes his own life, I have to spend, as long as it takes me to write the story at least, thinking about and imagining that I want to commit suicide. And this is not, I mean, I don't want to sound melodramatic, but I, I do mean this very, like, very sincerely. I have to think about committing suicide. I have to contemplate that in order to write that character. And that is not pleasant, frankly. And it doesn't have to be pleasant. And if it, like, who says that it should be? But if I have to go through that, if I'm thinking about killing myself, literally thinking about that so that I can write about a character who does, then by the same token, and I'm not going to kill myself, I want to be really, really clear about that. I'm a happy, well-adjusted person. Uh, I would never take my own life. If I die in a cell while the security camera malfunctions, you can assume it was Hillary Clinton who's done it. <laughs> but, uh, but I did have to, you know, spiritually go through that. And so if I did that, then I, I sort of assume, and I all sort of hope, as perverse as that may sound, that the reader will as well. I hope that the reader, when reading it, will, will occupy the mind of a person who is committing suicide. And so if you're mentally healthy, I think you can withstand that, assuming I'm even successful at conveying it, right? But uh, it's still something that I hope that I'm actually trying to put you through is to make you think about what it would be like to be a person who is going to do this. So I think if you really are going through that, if you're not mentally healthy, if you're someone who is tempted to that, then yeah, it's probably not great to read a story that is deliberately putting you in that frame, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and thank God that you are you know, well-adjusted and, and, and happy because we need you. You're one of the good ones. So I'm glad that. I, I, I think that's that's really, really cool that you, you, you're able to 
get in that that headspace and 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 I I think that's one of the best appeals uh, of writing in first person too, because the reader is literally reading I, you know, and th- that's how, you know, my novels, they're, they're in first person and, and some of my favorite books to, to read are in first person as well. So what, what genres they are, are you currently reading and, and how do you ha- find time to both read and write? Well, it's, it's always a trade-off because every hour that I spend uh, reading is an hour that I spend not writing, obviously. And I think that it's really easy to fall into a kind of paralysis where you tell yourself, oh, I just need to read one more book and then I'll be able to write something good i'll be able to write my masterpiece like this book this book's going to open a door uh that i've never opened before and then i'll finally know enough and then i'll finally have whatever i'm lacking i've been in that loop before um but a lot of the time when i when i want to write something i also sort of know that there's certain texts that are going to equip me to do it better so sometimes uh, I'll make a list of, and I'll, I'll think to myself, okay, in order to write this story, I need to read X, Y, and Z. And then I'll commit to that. And I will literally just read those three books or whatever, those two books that, I, that I've identified. Sometimes it might be not a book, it might be a short story or a magazine article or, or you never know. But I generally assemble some materials and I'm very deliberate, and I think these are the materials that I will treat as inputs, and then I will write. And when I'm writing, I generally try not to read anything else. Uh, you know, an article by my friends or something like that, sure. But but I don't pick up a new book because I I kind of try to construct a a mental territory, and then I want to stay in that territory until the story is completed. That makes a lot of sense. What are you reading right now? I mean, obviously you're coming off having read over 400 stories, uh, but but are there any any books that that you're working on as well in terms of reading? Uh, I'm currently gathering materials right now. There's a lot of books that I want to read um, that I haven't really picked exactly what they will be. I can reveal to you, and this may sound a little bit, uh, well, it sounds how it sounds. One of the books <laughs> I'm reading for my next story is Mein Kampf. And that is not the only book I'm reading for the story, <laughs> but it is among them. So we'll see how that goes. Very cool. Yeah, I actually just picked up a, a copy of Mein Kampf as well. I haven't read it before, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to that. And, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting to me, you know, my grandfather, he fought in, in World War II. And it, it's such an important piece of history. And I feel like so many people I completely missed the boat on that. You know, I when I enlisted in the National Guard, there were kids who were born after 9-11. And they don't, I don't even think they're learned about World War II. In, in school. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no substitute for living through history, no matter how much you, you read about it or study it. The people who went through it are just going to have a unique perspective. Not I was in school uh, when the, the planes went into the two towers. And that's an unforgettable day. It's an unforgettable moment that has really shaped America profoundly ever since. And if you didn't, if you weren't awake, I mean, you know, if you were like two or three years old, you probably don't remember it. But if you were, if you were mentally awake at that time, if you were in, in the fullness of your consciousness, I don't know how you could forget it. It was a, a very, uh, it, it was a moment of tremendous gravity. Absolutely. And, and, and history is so, so cool. And, and there's that interesting dichotomy because we're talking about, you know, the importance of fiction and, and the power of fiction, uh, but also uh, history is, is, is so important too. And I, I feel like we're being robbed uh, of good history and in many in in the the media and mass market, we're being robbed of good fiction as well. well that is what the Passage Prize uh, is hoping to at least at least a little bit improve. And it's very heartening to me. There are some people who submitted, I think, who maybe I, I don't want to say real writers, but let's say professional writers because everyone who published is a real writer in some sense, but there are some professional writers, I think, who submitted stories, and I don't know who they are, I don't know any of their names, nor would I say them if I did, but I think that there are people who probably feel a frustration with what they're allowed to write and what they're allowed to publish in, in that professional world, who have used this as an opportunity to hopefully make something that's much truer to their heart and their vision. Absolutely. And that's the cool thing about you and, and the other judges is you know, one of my favorite uh, images is the expression, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants and, and you guys are giants and you've, you've picked up, you know, little people and put them on your shoulders, uh, which is uh, just incredible. And I'm so glad that you did this and, and it sounded like you, you had uh, a lot of contributors to, to the prize pool itself. I actually don't know anything about that at all, which is kind of the beauty of these things. It's almost all been conducted anonymously or pseudonymously, and we have really minimized the, the surface area uh, when it comes to leaking identity. So I actually... I hardly know any of the names, even I, I hardly even know any of the Twitter handles of the people who submitted. And I certainly don't know who, uh, who donated or who backed it. So yeah, man. I think that's kind of cool. It, it really is, you know, because, you know, it's, it's the complete uh, antithesis to the, you know, me, 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 look at me, look how famous, look how cool I am. Uh, of you know Hollywood and everything where it's in your face and here I mean we have real people who are writing under pseudonyms who are anonymous and who are contributing uh, you know a, a lot of of money to to this to to give people the chance and it, in most cases it's anonymous and I think that that's that's beautiful because it's it's not about us you know it's it's about building something and sharing something that's that's meaningful and i think that's really cool do you 
and this might be a little premature, but do, do you see anything in the future, you know, a, a, maybe a, another competition or something like this to, to get more, more writers, you know, to stretch their wings? Oh yeah, we, uh, we certainly hope that there will be future package prize competitions. I don't know too much about the, the cadence or the compensation or what have you, but I will say this for being an independent prize that's got no association with any kind of school or publishing house or anything like that. Uh, the turnout is, is staggering. It's really the only time you would see this level of interest and submission would be honestly for like a national publication or something like that. So I think that there, there's a, a real hunger in this community for it. And I think we're going to see, I, I predict we will see many more rounds of the passage prize. Well, that's great news. Um, you know, we, we, I, we've been going for about an hour. I know how busy you are, so I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but where, where can people find you? How can people support and share your work? Oh yeah. Well, the easiest way is, uh, my Twitter account, which is zero X four nine F a nine eight. People tell me it's hard to remember, uh, you can also search for zero HP Lovecraft. I'm on WordPress, Substack, and uh, yeah, I think it's hopefully, hopefully not too hard to find. But uh, the Passage Prize is the other thing to search for. Google hasn't de-indexed us yet, so we're out there. And thank goodness for that. You know, I, I one of my favorite expressions is, you know plundering the riches of egypt you know like we 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 want unfortunately we we do have to uh use these mediums uh google twitter you know all these things uh which is a bummer but you know we're, we're doing something constructive to, despite the the platform and i think that's that's the good thing is to not be discouraged i i did want to to read uh, one of your works, if I may, and uh, this is the nursery rhyme for a techno-industrial society published on January 12, 2020. Destroy your smartphone, return to tradition. Let this be your terminal network transmission. It spread like a blessing. It lifted the curse. We shall not forget it, this beautiful verse. The simplest prayer, so easy to say, now you are free, throw your smartphone away. In twos and in threes, we gathered to meet, and we took the good news to the town and the street. I went to a stranger, we met face to face. I said, take out your phone, take it out of its case. You can be free, your life can be your own. Join us, my friend, and cast down your phone. He started to smile, he had ears to hear. He could tell by our warmth there was nothing to fear. He threw down his phone and it cracked and it broke. And we told him this prayer and his spirit awoke. We piled up the phones. We buried them deep. We put every laptop and server to sleep. We all joined together, a jubilant crowd. And out came the sun and away went the cloud. The screens all went dim as we gave up our wealth. We found treasure in heaven. We glowed with new health. The price was just right. Any person could pay. 
cast down your phone, say this prayer and obey. We fled from the cities, let skyscrapers fall, and we loved one another and we let progress stall. I sang the old songs and I lived on the land, not by means of my tools, but by strength of my hand. We found the old gods, built an altar and throne, now atone for your sins, now destroy your smartphone. Our rituals spread over all the earth, friend to friend, peer to peer, as a kind of rebirth. Never tame lightning, never forget, to build a machine is a horrible debt. Smash your TV and turn out the light. Behold what's before you, let your night be as night. Technology kills you, so learn to let go. We won't build it again, since we know what we know. When ideas take on a life of their own, they turn into demons and spread through your phone. Return to your home to soil and blood. Break every rainbow. Pray for a flood. Focus on Yellowstone. Sing her this rhyme. We can end it right now. It can end for all time. Man, that's that's beautiful. Like that, you are a fantastic writer, and you have such a range. Uh, where where did that come from? may disappoint you slightly to learn that I was being tongue-in-cheek with that poem. But uh, in in a way, it's making fun of these people online who are like anarcho-primitivist and who who are trad, right? But at the same time, I think there is a certain charm to the sentiment. And you may or may not notice the... There's a little bit, there are a couple of allusions to the Bible in it. There uh, is an allusion to Hakan. He had a famous tweet, uh, you know, focus on Yellowstone. We can end it now. It can end for all time. And I enjoy playing with these, these tropes. It's sort of having a license to appreciate something both ironically and sincerely. That sounds pretentious, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, it's just a mood. Poetry is just a mood. I'm not a great poet. I don't think that I am. Um, and one of the worst things you can try to do, I actually write about this in, uh, in, in my book, which will hopefully ship any day now, They Have No Deepness of Earth, is try to dissect the poem and really go line by line and explain what it's saying. This, this can be done. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think this kills the poem. I, I will say that uh, it had been a while since I heard it. And while you were reading, I was thinking, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> so let me just pat myself on the back. Yeah, no, I mean, you deserve it. And, and I love that. And I don't think it sounds pretentious at all, but I mean, you, you have to be able uh, to, you know, to, to have that kind of tongue in cheek and, and, uh, you know, that ironic uh, look at that, because, you know, again, from the Bible, we, we are living in the world, we don't have to be of the world, but we do have to live in it. And, you know, if I were to smash my phone and my laptop, I would never get to interact with you. You know, I obviously, I don't know the irony that we're talking over over a, a zoom call right now. And that most people who listen to this podcast are probably playing it on their phone. So, well, there you go. 
Yep, absolutely. Well, th- this has been a real honor, my friend. Uh, any any last uh, pieces of, of advice or counsel or anything else you want to share before we sign off? I wish I had prepared some kind of a, a benediction, but I don't have one handy. So I will simply say uh, thank you for having me. It has uh, been a delight. Thank you so much. You know, my, my uh, daughter, she's six and, and she heard me reading that poem and, and she grabbed a phone and she tapped me on the shoulder and she just threw it down. On the, so, yep, absolutely. Well, thank you again. And uh, we would definitely love to, to have you return to the show uh, in, in the future. And we'll look forward to the passage prize announcement and and thank you again for what you're doing you're you're doing uh, a great work thank you thank you you bet well to all you listeners thank you for tuning in and until next time this has been brett and zero hp lovecraft out